Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Hey, if you're brand new to Mission Church, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here. It's so good to see you. Come on. Uh, if you were wondering where we were last week, uh, we were just gone. Just kidding. Uh, I had a minor uh, cold called COVID uh, for myself. It was very minor, very thankful. Uh, not everybody has it that way, but I, yeah, I had COVID. Uh, started about two weeks ago, and I'm all better now, feeling strong. Uh, literally just had a cold. Like, my worst day was the day I recorded the message. So when you saw me on screen, that was my worst day. Had a little bit of body aches, uh, but I was, I was fine. Uh, a couple of our staff members had it, and that was about it. My wife never got it. The other five staff members didn't get it. So um, uh, we're going to keep pushing through. Does that sound good? I... Um, yeah, we followed all the protocols, did our best, and uh, I'm back, baby. Um, we're in a series called God's Not Done. Everybody say, God's Not Done. I'm going to give you the title of my message even. I'm not going to hold out on you. Stand firm, stand out, and speak up. Woo, it's a mouthful. It's going to work. Don't worry. Uh, let's go to the Bible. I, I think it'd be good for me to read the Word of God. Yes, Matthew 7, 24 through 29. If you have a Bible, uh, turn there. Um, I mix my message up a little bit. So uh, if you're doing ProPresenter, Laura, forgive me. I'm all over the place today. Um, uh, here we go. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Come on. So, hey, very obvious. Jesus is saying, hey, storms are going to come, but you built different. Hey, 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 hey tough times are going to come, but you're going to respond different. Ooh, we need some Christians responding differently. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with great crash. Stop. I grew up in the Pentecostal movement. Charismatics. Any of the charismatics in the house? Okay, yes, I grew up as a charismatic. Um, it's the first church I got saved in. So I learned a lot of charismatic things that were not biblical. Just going to be real with you, okay? Uh, I still love my uh, Pentecostal heritage, though. I love it. I love where I got saved. I loved how I got trained. But some things were way not biblical. They taught me stuff like, um, uh, if you say it, then you are speaking death over your life. And if you, you don't talk about valleys, don't talk about storms. And if you don't talk about storms, you don't talk about valleys, storms and valleys are never going to come. That's, that's, the, that's the power of the tongue. So then I'd be like, okay, okay, okay. I'll never talk about valleys, never talk about storms. And then when a valley and a storm did come, they'd be like, hold on a second. You must have been doing something wrong. We're going to pray it off you. We're going to come against the demonic spirit. We're going to plead, plead the blood of Jesus, and you're not gonna, that storm's going to go away from you. And so for a while, even when Rachel and I had our pre-marriage counseling at, at our church, uh, they told us things like, if you want to have a good marriage, here's what you need to do. You don't work out before you get married, and you don't uh, cook before you get married. If you do, you're inviting Satan down the aisle with you. I was like, where is that in the Bible? It's not, by the way. Um, um, and then they're like, uh, you know, and if you're having trouble, uh, you know, keeping your hands off your fiance, we can pray, uh, pray the spirit of restraint on you. And I was like, where is that in the Bible? It's not, by the way, okay? Um, and so I remember just learning all these spiritual hacks on how to avoid the storm and how to have a great marriage. And then I started reading the Bible. And the Bible shows you that, man, valleys are everywhere in the Bible. I, you know what would be a great message? 10 ways to avoid all the valleys of your life. You want that message today? You're not going to get it. Not going to happen. If you grew up in the religious uh, circle, the things that you would hear is, well, you reap what you sow. You're just being disobedient. And disobedient Christians are going to pay the price. He's a holy God, but he's a severe God also. Happy religion day. You know, I mean, this is the religious movement. Maybe, just maybe, 
It wasn't a demonic spirit that led you there. Maybe, just maybe, it wasn't that you made a bad decision that led you there. Maybe, just maybe, like Matthew 4, it says, by the spirit of God, Jesus was led into the wilderness for 40 days. Maybe, just maybe, a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. Maybe, just maybe, that Christians that are put on this earth, we are not supposed to avoid valleys, but we're supposed to flourish in valleys. Maybe, just maybe, Christians aren't supposed to avoid storms, but when the storm comes, they respond differently. When I was in junior high, my junior high basketball coach put this little piece of paper on the wall, and he said, life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% how you respond. And he'd say, Johnson, you're going to go out there the next 32 minutes. We had eight-minute quarters. Uh, the game's not going to go as you planned, but man, respond well. You miss a basket, go harder the next time. If you, what I would do when I would, get, when I would mess up, I don't know about if this is you, but when I mess up, I'd pout a little bit. I'd be frustrated for a couple plays. You could see it on my face. I'm running down. I'd be like, I can't believe I missed that shot. I'm so, I'll just, I'll, you could see it on my face. And so he taught me the clap rule. He said, you mess up, clap your hands, and you turn it off, and you, you go forward. And he taught me that the game was 10% of what was happening, but 90% how I responded. And the reality is, is that when you leave church this week, you are going to have a life that you have planned, and then life's actually really going to happen. And you're going to ask questions, God, why would you do this? Do I pray the demonic spirits out of here? Maybe, just maybe, God's sovereignty is on this pandemic still. Maybe, just maybe, God has you in this area for a reason. Maybe, just maybe, God wants to develop something in you. Because the reality is, is that my message today, the big thought today is, is that I want to teach our church on how to respond well in a storm. How to respond well in a valley. Because the reality is, and I've heard people say, and I don't like this one, is you're either coming out of a valley or you're going into a valley. Well, that's not nice. But man, you live life long enough, you realize he's the God of the mountains and he's the God of the valleys. That man, I love mountaintop seasons. I, oh, I love them. I love them. I love, I love those seasons. But the reality that I've seen in my life, and you've probably seen in yours, is you don't get the fruit. You don't become who you are in the mountaintops. It's in the valleys when you get broken and when you go through those hard times and you allow God to do what he's supposed to do and you don't fight it. Oh, but you actually say, God, whatever you have for me in this valley, I'm going to harvest everything. And when a faith is tested and you come out on the other side, oh, it's a faith that can be trusted. Will you bow your heads with me? So God, today as we go through your word, God, I pray that we would be a church that would not be one that would uh, try to create a bunker theology where we'll never go through anything hard and everything's going to be fine. But God, when we do go through it, Ooh, may our church shine better and brighter. May we show the world something different. Because you say that storms will come, but we are built on something different. That we have a different, a, a different hope. We have a different strength. We have a different center. We have a different type of thing. And his name is Jesus. Lord, I pray that my words fall to the floor and your words soar. And everybody said. So here's what's going to happen. If you're brand new, we're in the uh, uh, book of Daniel. Uh, and I'm going to do three things today. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at uh, what do we do? when we live in the culture we live in. I think that's important. Second thing we're gonna look at is uh, what's going on in the book of Daniel, Daniel 2 and Daniel 3. I'm gonna share that a little bit. And then last but not least, how do you stand firm and how do you stand out in a Babylonian culture? How do you stand firm and how do you stand out in a world like this right now? How do you not just compromise or blend in, but how do you actually stand firm, stand out, and speak up. Do you know what I noticed also in, in Daniel's rhythm is the only time they were speaking up was after they had stood firm and stood out. Christians speak up before they stand firm and stand out. There's just something about the rhythm of actually standing firm in your faith, speak, uh, uh, standing out in your faith, and then people saying, what is it? And you say, oh, his name's Jesus. And then you get the opportunity to speak. A lot of us, we're not standing firm. We're actually doing the same stuff. A lot of us aren't standing out with good deeds 
and, and loving people, but we're still trying to speak up. Ooh, let's do it the right way. Does that sound good? So uh, if you're brand new, I, I feel like I got to give you a couple little backgrounds about the book of Daniel. First one's this is we're, uh, the book of Daniel's uh, between 500 and 600 BC. It is um, this um, uh, big empire called Babylon. It is modern day Iraq now. Uh, in the Old Testament, Babylon is a city. In the New Testament, it's a spirit. Another way to say it is in the Old Testament, the Babylon is a locality, but in the New Testament, it's a mentality. And you'll see Babylon all throughout scripture. You'll see it in Genesis, the Tower of Babel. Uh, you know what the word Babylon means? The root word Babylon means Babel? It means confusion and chaos. The Babylonian culture, AKA what we are experiencing today in California, because you'll, you'll notice this, that Babylon wasn't just uh, when Nebuchadnezzar was there, but you'll see Rome was a, a Babylonian spirit. You'll see that in Isaiah, in the middle of the, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 47, you'll see Babylon talked about, but you'll see Revelation 17, 18 Babylon talked about. But if you look at our culture, Ooh, it has all the markings of a Babylonian culture. Arrogance, pride, uh, just pleasure, comfort seeking. Everything that marked Babylon is where we're living right now. And so the other thing you need to know about th this book is it's an exilic book. All that means is that th these people, uh, the people of Israel were in exile. There's a handful of exilic books, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, a handful of other ones. And so, of course, you didn't get exiled if you're born and raised in California. Uh, you didn't get exiled if you've been born and raised in, in America. But I'll say this is maybe... You didn't move, but America has moved. And we've moved away from Jesus. We've moved away from God. We've moved away from Christendom. And Christendom, 100 years ago, just to simply put, give you a couple of reviews, is if you want to get a home loan 100 years ago, you'd write what church you went to. If you wanted your business to even flourish, it was what church you went to. Like, it helped you in business. Today, now, it's the opposite. Now, I'm not saying we were perfect during Christendom. There's a lot of atrocities happening in America. Even Israel, when they were uh, in a, uh, not exiled, they were still doing terrible things. But there's something to be said when you live in a culture where it is not bent to help you live for Jesus. And everything right now is bent to actually push you away from Jesus. Everything. We're, we're such a busy time. California is beautiful, too. It's just we're busy, and we can also go do things. You know what I'm saying? You could have gone to Napa today. You could have went to the Walnut Creek Festival. Maybe you're going afterwards. Uh, Marcy told me, bring your money. They're going to take a lot of it. Okay. Um, uh, another thing we uh, establish about Babylon is that Babylon doesn't come here to destroy you. The Babylonian spirit doesn't come to destroy you. It comes to seduce you. Wow. So the option really is, is this, is that, that you either assimilate the Babylon because the, the, the way that Babylon would do is they would take, there was three times Babylon came into Israel. They would take 10,000 liters and they would take the best and brightest and they would have them eat the best food of Babylon, experience the best of Babylon, and then would teach them in their schools of Babylon. You think our public schools have problems right now? Daniel went to magic school, okay? Straight up learned how to be Harry Potter. Da 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 da, -da you know? Um, and he still turned out okay, okay? So um, I went to public school, I turned out all right. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, am I fine? Am I fine? Yes, okay, cool. Maybe time to talk. I don't talk about it. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, Peter wrote about Babylon. You'll, you'll see that in 1 Peter 5. Uh, so here, here's, here's, here's where I want to go. Is I want to read you the, um, I would say, the big thought verse that really birthed this title, this series, God's Not Done. It's in Jeremiah 29.4. So the first one is, what do we do? What do we do? Um, and you're going to hear this, I think, for the next two weeks. And then hopefully you have it memorized. So... You'll hear some Christians tell you right now in California what you should do is give up on California. Give up on them. The other ones you'll say is, not give up on them, condemn them. So either condemn California or get out of California. But what if there's a different option? 
What, and I believe there is. I believe that Jesus gave us another option. Here's what it says in 29, 4 through 14. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I love the Lord right there. He says, I did this. I did this. Again, your, your, your religious theology, your Pentecost theology, there's sometimes you, you get so wrapped up in it. Sometimes you gotta look at the Lord and say, God, are you in this? Did you, did you allow the pandemic? Did you allow, did you allow these leaders to be the leaders? Did you allow this culture to, to move this way? Maybe, just maybe, so we can actually uh, be shaped the way you call us to be shaped, to test us the way you want to test us, but also so we can be a blessing to this place also? Let's keep going. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat when they, uh, what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage so that may too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Right there it says, yo, have a singles ministry. Uh, have families, all of the above. So we might be adding a singles ministry and all the singles said, yeah, yeah. Um, come on now, why not? Uh, what I think is interesting about church is if you're a single church, just give it heads up. Uh, the majority of the church is single now. Uh, a lot of the time we, we, we cater church towards families, but the church, the majority of the church is now single. And so uh, I want you to know if you're single, hey, you're doing just fine in the house. Okay, you're the majority right now. You, you, you're killing the game. I was single until I was 29. I loved it. And then I got married. I loved it even more. Come on now. I almost got in trouble there. I was like, I loved being single. <laughs> oh, you did, huh, Tyler? We'll talk later. Um, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Okay, 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 okay. I was, uh, I was off a week. I was talking to a camera last week. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. So God's got you here, so speak peace and prosperity for this region. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. A.K., God's saying, you, you connected to this place. You planted here. I need you to understand that, 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 that you'll affect this area and this area will affect you. Pray that it prospers. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying uh, lies uh, to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, all that shows me is God ordains valleys. Even a lot of, a lot of times valleys. Don't fight the timeline of the valley. Just settle in and start pushing through and praying through and know God's doing something in the valley. Does that sound good? Um, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to you and bring you back to this place. And this is the verse where God's not done and we've heard it, but this actually is connected to Babylon. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Woo, come on now. God's saying, guess what? I'm not done. I'm not done. I, not only am I not done in your life, I'm going to prosper you. Not only am I not done in your life, I've got hope for you. These are things that Christians need to hear today that are in a storm. So what do you do? Do you assimilate to Babylon? Do you separate from Babylon? No, you stand firm, you stand out, you speak up. Now, this is a dangerous message for me to preach to some of you people that love confrontation. It's like putting gasoline on a fire. You're like, oh, I get to speak up now and I get to stand out for Jesus. Who here loves confrontation? Raise your hand. You just love it. You're on Instagram, you're like, oh, let me get ready. I'm going to about to get busy. You know what I'm saying? You find, a, you, you find posts, you're like, oh, I can't wait to post this one. It's going to stir the pot. You know, anybody, uh, my people, okay, you get it. Um, well, raise your hand if you don't like confrontation. Okay, there you go. Uh, it's actually pretty confrontational of you to raise that many hands. <laughs> if you really didn't like confrontation, you would never raise your hand. Those are the ones that are the real non-confrontational people. And you know you were, you didn't raise your hand at all. You're like, I can't even tell people what I am because that might upset them. Yeah. <laughs> You're the real ones, okay? That's the non-confrontational people. But what you're going to see here in Daniel 2 and 3 is you're going to see also what Babylon does. It's going to bring you to a place in your life where either you're going to have to decide to compromise and be a part of it or stand out and say, I will no longer be a part of this. 
I know that you guys want me to respond this way. I know you want me to think this way. I know you want me to act this way. I know you want me to worship these things, but guess what? I can't do it. And then you're going to stand firm. And the reality is when you stand firm is culture is creating a head-on collision between you and Babylon, you and the enemy of darkness. And if you're non-confrontational, you're like, well, is it that big a deal? I don't, I don't, yeah, you're right. I'll just, I'll just, I don't want to rock the boat. You know? I, mean, I might as well, you know, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sin's cool. Yeah, Satan's awesome. Tip the cat, you know? Um, and then there's some of you who you want to stand firm, but all you're doing is speaking out and shaming people, and you're not moving the ball forward at all. I actually think that you can not compromise and impact this world, but you can do it in a way that is graceful, that is impactful. You know, when Jesus was on the scene, you know how he did it? He did it with grace and truth. A lot of confrontational people, they just got truth in their tool belt. It's just their hammer. Hey, you know, the Bible says this, kabam, you know, you know. Hey, guess what, kabam. And you're like, dang, like when that person comes in, they come in, but grace comes in the room and just gives people hugs, loves them where they're at, connects with them before it directs them anywhere. You know, Jesus, when, he, when he's uh, correcting the woman caught in adultery, you know, what's interesting is, is they bring him and they bring the hammer and they're like, let's destroy her. We know what truth says, destroy her. And Jesus just gives her this grace and he says, do I condemn you? No. So he doesn't condemn her, but he raises the bar in life. He says, but go, go and sin no more. It's an amazing thing when you see grace and truth walking hand in hand. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to show you um, what I call the enemy's hand. The enemy's hand. Uh, I think one of my jobs as your pastor, and one of the things that you'll see in, in, in the Bible uh, when we do series, is that it exposes the enemy's schemes. You ever been out, uh, outsmarted or you ever been ripped off before? Anybody been ripped off? My people, I've been ripped off. I've been ripped off. I've, worst time I ever got ripped off was when I was a kid. I used to collect baseball cards. You might collect baseball cards. Remember baseball cards? Come on now. Kangaroo Junior rookie card was the best card I had. I uh, went over to my buddy's house and we started trading cards. Corey Fail, man, he was, I mean, he was 11 years old, but that guy was slick. He could talk you into anything. He traded me all the worst cards. He gave me more cards for one card because he said, these 12 cards are way better than that one card. Me not knowing that this one card would be worth literally $1,000, okay? It was already worth 100 bucks. And so I remember him ripping me off and my dad, being mad. I'm like, what did you do? I was like, Corey told me these 12 cards were better than this one card. No, they weren't. You got ripped off, bro. And what happens is, is that if you don't know the schemes of the enemy, that he'll offer you quantity and not quality, that he'll offer you a lot of pleasure, but not the presence of God, that he'll offer you every, everything, comfort, but he won't offer you the creator. Uh, you'll start trading things you never should have traded in your life. And so uh, what it says in 2 Corinthians 2, 11 says this, so that Satan will not outsmart us for we are familiar with his evil schemes. So the only way you're not going to be outsmarted is if you are familiar with his evil schemes. Are you familiar with his evil schemes? Do you know the, the hands in his deck? Um, anybody uh, like playing poker? Any sinners in the house? Me either. I hate poker. I, I would never, never, never play. I would never play Texas Hold'em with you. If you ask me, I might. Um, so I remember just being a young kid, and I loved playing um, poker. I was like literally like uh, ninth, 10th grade. And so we didn't have money, but we had baseball cards again. And so we brought over our best cards, the ones in the, in, the, in the plastic thick ones, okay? And so we used those as our chips, and we were playing poker, and one of our buddies went to the bathroom, and me and my buddy Joey were like, hey, let's, let's uh, rig the deck, and let's give him a four of a kind of kings, but give me a four of a kind of aces. And we'll go all in, and I'm gonna get his best two cards, and he's gonna think he won, and then I'll show him the four aces, and he's gonna lose. And then when you're ninth grade, you're like, oh my gosh, it's the best player ever! 
over here like laughing while you're putting it together. Like, and the other person's walking back like, what's up? Nothing, you know? And then you're like dealing the card, trying to have a straight face. And so we're dealing the hand. And I'll never forget it. I have my four aces uh, and he has four kings. And it's funny when they don't know that you know. And so they like see the card. And I remember my buddy looking at his card. I was like, um, check. And I was like, oh, you're going to check on a four of a kind. This guy's a genius. Now, this is one of the plays in poker. You check, and then you have the person uh, bet, and then you re-raise him. So I was like, oh. And I was like, well, I got a good hand, so I'm going to go in. And, and he thinks he has the best hand. I remember him betting some more uh, baseball cards. And so we, we, we just stack cards throughout. There's about three betting times during the, the game. And, and at the very end, you know, he goes, four kings, slams him on the ground. I was like, oh, no. The only thing that could beat that is four aces, you know. <laughs> And he was like, you, how did this happen? He starts crying. I was like, oh, get over here. You know, I started, I pulled all the cards. I, I threw them on my, my body like they, they fell off me. Kind of hurt because they're plastic uh, things. I was, I was trying to be dramatic. And he was like, what are the odds? Oh, and I started crying. And, and it's one of those ones where like, you know, he's like, I'm done playing. My mommy told me I couldn't do this. You know, he was actually the only Christian in our group, by the way. Um, the rest of us weren't saved yet. And he's like, my mom said this was evil and I get why she says it. You know, he's like going off, like declaring like the scripture of why gambling's wrong. And I was like, God has sent me to teach you a lesson. Um, and so, so anyways, so we take the cards, and uh, but at the very end of it, I felt so bad. And of course, we were gonna keep it. I was like, I was like, bro, we we break the deck. Like, there's no way you're gonna have four kings. I'm gonna have four aces. Like, like, and he's like, oh, he's like, thank you so much. And I put it, gave his cards back. Never would play cards with us again. Um, to this day, we should check. Name's Brian. Uh, Brian. But anyways, um, uh, I I started thinking about that story when I was putting my message together. And I just remember going like, man, like, it would be so fun to play poker knowing everybody's cards every time. It'd be so fun to play a game knowing if you had the winning hand or the losing hand, you would just play it differently. And the reality is, is what the Bible does is it tells you you have the winning hand. It tells you you got everything in your tool belt to defeat the enemy. And the only thing the enemy has is he can bluff you. He can say, oh, I got more than you have. Oh, I can destroy you. I can hurt you. I can kill you. But when you start to read the Bible, you'll start to see the enemy expose his scheme and you see his whole hand. You see the same scheme over and over again on how to trick God's people into worshiping the things of this world instead of God. So what I want to do in Daniel 2 and 3 is I'm going to give you a quick 30,000 flyby and I'm going to show you the enemy's hand on how he navigates and then show you the winning hand on how Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they navigate and how they win. And then after that, we're going to finish with, how do you stand firm? How do you stand out? Maybe you don't even know you have these cards in your hand. Maybe you don't know you have this in your life to actually live a life of victory. Are you sick and tired of being a victim of every moment? Are you just tired of it? Are you tired of the next thing to be on the news and be afraid again? Are you tired of a new update? Are you tired of when somebody does something that makes you respond and feel a certain way? What if you weren't a victim of the storm anymore, but you were actually a rock in the midst of a storm because you were on the rock? Maybe, just maybe, we're not a victim of every moment. So I'm actually not going to read any of Daniel 2 and 3 today because we'd be here forever and I have eight minutes left. Um, But what I am going to do is I want to give you an overview of what's happening in each one and show you the scheme of the enemy so you won't be outsmarted. And then I want to show you Daniel's response. And what's interesting is you're not going to find a lot of new responses in the Bible. You know the response in the Bible all the time is? Pray. Hey, you should pray. Hey, hard, hard day? Pray. Hard day? You should pray with some believers. Oh, hard day again? You should probably pray. Yeah. And the reality is, is a lot of you, you should do a lot of things less and pray a lot more. 
You should worry less, pray more. You should talk less, pray more. You should scroll less on Instagram and pray more. You should um, stop watching things so much on Netflix and pray more. And the reality of your life, whoo, you start building your life on something different. And so the first thing I just want to show you is Daniel 2. Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. So one night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had a disturbing dream that he couldn't sleep. And it goes on in verse 3, he said, I've had a dream that deeply troubles me and I must know what it means. So he has this dream in Daniel 2. And just to give you a heads up, uh, the reality is, is that uh, Genesis 10, when you see the Tower of Babel, the spirit of Babylon is this. Let us make a name for ourselves." And so Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And his dream is to make a huge statue of himself and make a name for himself. If you don't know anything about Nebuchadnezzar, he's one of the top 20 most powerful people ever in our history. He was the most powerful man on the, uh, in the, uh, on the planet at this time. Did you know Saddam Hussein's hero was Nebuchadnezzar? Did you know that he actually thought he was Nebuchadnezzar reincarnated? So, so Nebuchadnezzar is this uh, figure, extremely powerful, and guess what he can't do? He can't sleep, and he's scared, and he's anxious, and he's distraught. Do you realize that you can have all the power in the world, but you don't have the presence of God, you'll be distraught and anxious, and you won't be able to sleep? The reality is, is that the most powerful man needs Jesus. And so he has a dream that is making him nervous, and here's his dream. And if I'm being honest, all of us come to Babylon with a dream. All of us come to Babylon wanting to build our own tower and build a name for ourselves. It's just the reality of our flesh wanting our name to be big, but the more you fall in love with the Lord, you realize the only thing that will build your life is when you don't care about your name being big, but only one name being big, and his name is Jesus. Okay, let's keep going. So Daniel 2, uh, here's the dream. So, so Daniel, Daniel hears that Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, he's, I, I could just do a sermon on how evil Nebuchadnezzar was. Nebuchadnezzar said, if you can't tell me, you magicians and diviners, I'm going to slaughter all of you, cut you all in pieces. So it's interesting, uh, the Babylonian way to deal with people. Just destroy them. If you don't meet my needs, I'm just going to destroy you. If I can't use you for my benefit, I'm just going to destroy you. And so Daniel hears this, goes to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Ben, and goes, hey, everybody's going to die. We got a bad leader. We got to pray. He urges them to pray. Can I just tell you something real quick? Find somebody who urges you to pray. Daniel urges them to pray. They pray. God gives them wisdom. He, he celebrates God because he gives them wisdom and insight. And so he gives them this dream, comes to Nebuchadnezzar and shares this with, with Nebuchadnezzar. So here's the dream. Your majesty, you looked there before, stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of bay clay. Stop. So that's all I'm going to read Daniel 2. You got some homework assignments. Read Daniel 2 and Daniel 3 for the rest of the, the day, okay? Um, so eschatology, one of my favorite things to study. Eschatology, study of end times. You got Revelations, 1 Thessalonians 4, Matthew 24, Isaiah, some Isaiah. Of course, Daniel 12 is a big one. Daniel 2 right here is a little bit eschatology. Uh, the, one of the uh, eschatology, and that's all it is, a study of end times. One of the eschatology prophecies in Daniel 2 is Daniel is prophesying the four empires that are, are, are to come. So the first one's the Babylonian Empire. So he's talking about the gold one. Then the next, the next metal is the Persian Empire. And then you have the, then Greece. And then you have Rome. And then the last one are the 10, 10, ten toes, which would be the 10, world, 10 nations coming together, one world order. We're not there yet, but everything else has happened. So it's amazing that Daniel, even in Daniel 2, prophesied the four empires that we've seen today. There's one last one. There'll be the 10. And I, I like to think that, to be honest, we are in the last days. We've been in the last days since Acts, but we really are in like, the, like if it's a football field, we're in the red zone, okay? Um, <laughs> Oh, we're about to punch the ball in. Okay, so anyways, um, but the other thing is you got to understand that this dream disturbed him so much, and, and theologians say is because the statue was him. 
He was building a statue of himself. He, like, he, want, he wanted to build something great about himself. He wanted to build something to make people go, woo, Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest ever. And so he's building a tower, and it says in this dream, the reason why he was so distraught is that a stone comes off the mountain and just rolls. Just rolls. And it hits this amazing, gorgeous statue, and it destroys it. It says it falls over, shatters, and the wind just blows it away, and it disappeared. Just like the Babylonian Empire disappeared, just like the Persian Empire disappeared, just like the, uh, just Greece disappeared, just like Rome disappeared. It's amazing, these world powers that are so impressed themselves, they just disappear one day, and they're just a thing. And so he starts to stress out about it. And of course, what happens, you'll see this rhythm in Daniel 2, is that they stand firm in prayer. They stand out because of it. And then Nebuchadnezzar goes, your God must be the real God. And then, of course, Daniel speaks up about the real God. It's amazing when you stand firm and stand out, people start to say, you must have the real God. And so if, if I could just, if I could preach to you real quick and ask you a question is, what's your tower? What did you come to California for? Why are you in California? What are, you, what are you building right now? Because if I'm being honest, if you build the wrong tower, if you um, say yes to the scheme of the enemy of him selling you to build something else, it, you will live a distraught, anxious life all the time in your dreams. And so when the storm comes, it'll destroy you. I, I wrote down a couple of towers that I've seen in our area. Popularity is a tower that a lot of people want to build. And here's the reality. So in the dream, a stone comes and destroys this tower. Well, the stone that destroys the popularity thing, it's the poles. It's social media, it's Instagram. If, if popularity, if people are the most important thing, you're trying to build yourself up in popularity, once just one little thing happens on social media, once people don't like you, that little stone comes, it destroys your tower. It destroys your day. But if you're not, not built, if you're built on, on clay, that's what happens, but if you're built on the rock, if you're not here to please people, but to please God, poles don't do nothing to you. You stay, you stay strong. Let me build another one. Maybe money is your tower. Woo, money. I came to California to make money. I like me some money, you know. To be honest, that's literally the spirit of, you gotta look at California. People came west because of the gold rush. They came to make money. And so California got a spirit on it. The Bible actually calls it the spirit of manna. They came to make money, get rich. And then, and then Hollywood was birthed here. People came here to get famous and get rich. I mean, I came to make money. And now people come here to make money in startups. Gold's changed, not from gold bars. Now it's, uh, it's online tech, it's, it's startups, it's a bunch of things, but people come to California to make money. And then it spread even up to Oregon. We gave them a little bit of it too. You can have Nike. And then we gave Seattle, you know, a few things, Starbucks and Costco and Microsoft. But the West Coast is just different. You don't see that anywhere. Do you think people moved to North Carolina or North Dakota to make money? I mean, you know, I came to South Dakota to make rich. There ain't nothing to make there, okay? <laughs> But you come to California, you come to make money. So what's your pebble? It's the stock market. You watch the stock market. And if the stock market's good, then it's crazy to me that stock market is bad. Consumer confidence goes down in the pebble and it shatters everything. It's an amazing thing. If money is your tower, you're always nervous about the economy. And you're watching out. Because the reality is, is if you know that you have a different tower, you're always watching out for a stone to hit it and you're protecting from that stone. So you bunker in that, so no stone can ever hit you. The reality is if you have the right rock, no stone you're afraid of. Let's keep going. Maybe looks is your tower. Maybe, maybe looks. Well, the mirror is your stone. What's happening in the mirror every day is your stone. Just bothering you. Another one is this, is maybe just the worldly kingdom is your tower. And let's debate if I want to touch on this. I'm going to touch on it. When, you, when you're building a worldly kingdom, just life 
is the stone. Just life. I mean, I'll never forget it. Rachel and I, we finally got to buy our first house in California, which I think is like a Red Sea miracle. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we got, we got a gift. It was amazing. We got to buy a house. I'm very thankful for it. And so we buy a house. And I remember getting on a plane to uh, go to a, a, a Convoy of Hope event in North Carolina. And I was like, there's a little bit of turbulence. As the first time in my life, I, I said this to myself. I'm just going to be honest. Can I tell myself? I said, man, this would be a terrible time to die. Life's good. Like, finally bought a house. Church is going good. Life's good. I'm, I'm healthy. I got through my health. Man, I don't want to die right now. Like, I like life. Like, I want to enjoy the house I just bought. It's got a pool in the backyard, you know? And I started to understand why so many people have been so fearful, especially during COVID, especially the Bay Area, because it's reminded us of the first time in a while that we will die one day, that this is not our home. And there is mortality and it's real. And when we don't think about it a lot and we think we're building this thing that's gonna be here forever and we, we're building our stock market, we're building our 401k, we're building our life and we think we're fine and then this COVID stone comes in and people bunker up and are afraid and saying, I don't wanna lose everything I just built. The reality is, is that you can, if you can lose what you just built, you're building the wrong thing. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have respect for COVID. I respect COVID. I know people who have, literally, we've lost to COVID. People that served with me in LA that, that have passed away from COVID. I know it's real. But the reality is, is that if you are losing sleep and you are distraught and anxious over it, you maybe, maybe, maybe have the wrong tower. Yeah. Doesn't mean we don't respect it. Doesn't mean we don't pray against it. Doesn't mean we don't navigate with it. But if it's controlling your emotions and thoughts and everything, you may have the wrong tower. Yeah. And that's not, that's not a fun thing for me as a pastor to tell you, but I got to tell you so you can actually live a free life instead of a fearful life. Okay, let's go on. Okay, sorry. Uh, I didn't think I'd have claps after that, but okay. Um, Daniel 3, we'll actually touch on it next week because I don't want to uh, go through that. Uh, I don't want to um, miss out on that. Um, I think it's too much to share in that one. So what I do want to close with is how do we stand firm and stand out in a Babylonian culture? How do we stand firm and stand out in Babylon culture? So three ways that you can stand firm. I want to give you some tools today. I felt like as I was going through Daniel 2 and Daniel 3, you'll see both times, Daniel 3, um, you'll see um, Nebuchadnezzar build this statue and say, hey, if you don't, don't bow down and worship, I'll kill you. Um, and the reality is, is if you look at Matthew 4, the scheme of the enemy, he says, if you bow down to me, uh, uh, Jesus, I'll give you everything. So there's always going to be an option. It will always be the easier route to bow down to the world and there'll be no confrontation. But if you choose not to bow down in the world, you're going to have confrontation, but you need to have what I call the furnace prayer. And the furnace prayer, I'm just going to give it to you real quick before we go into this part. Um, I guess I'm sharing a little bit of Daniel 3. Forgive me. Um, I can't help myself. Um, is uh, Daniel 3, you have these three people stand firm, and they're going to be thrown in the furnace, and they literally tell uh, Nebuchadnezzar this. I'll read it to you. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown in the blazing furnace, that God whom we serve is able to save us. He'll rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Uh, set up. I think what's interesting is when I was Pentecostal, and I still have charismatic roots, and I still believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, but when I was like full Pentecostal and not a lot of Bible, just all like, like Holy Spirit stuff, it was my prayers like this. And we bind that, it will never happen. We have so much faith, and we have enough faith, the furnace will never burn us up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is an anomaly in the Bible. Most of the mar uh, people died martyrs' death and were set on fire in the book of Acts. So how do you reconcile in Acts where Timothy is the senior pastor and Emperor Nero is setting Christians on fire and they're bold in their faith saying, I believe in Jesus. 
I will not bow down to you. Set them on fire, and they're set on fire. So how do, how do I reconcile Christian believers being set on fire in the book of Acts, but these ones getting out of the fire? They pray the same prayer, and the prayer is this. I'm not going to bow down to you. My God will save me. And even if he doesn't save me on this side of heaven, I still will not bow down to you. I'm going to only worship God. Yeah. It's called the furnace prayer. And the reason why the Acts Christians did it and they never stopped was because there was somebody else who prayed the furnace prayer. His name was Jesus. And it was in Gethsemane. And he said, Lord, I don't want to go in this fire. The, the fiery furnace of judgment, it's hell. But your will be done, not mine. And he conquered the fiery furnace. Can I just tell you something real quick about the polytheistic, pluralistic society of Babylon? So Babylon is polytheistic. You can have a lot of gods. You can worship a lot of things, but you can't have one God because that's offensive. You have one God. You say there's only one way, one truth, one life. You are intolerant. But us polytheistic, pluralistic ideologies, you can think whatever way you want to think. You can do whatever you want to do. We're really intolerant. The reality is it's polytheistic and pluralistic. looks really intolerant from the outside, but you touch on it at all. It is the most intolerant thing on the planet. Watch what it does to it right now. It's eating itself alive. It's the most, there, you cannot match the bar of the polytheistic, pluralistic mindset. It eats itself alive. It is so intolerant, there's no grace. It throws person after person into the fire. Christianity. From the outside, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Sounds kind of intolerant. But actually, when you actually start to push in on Christianity, you see what it is, you realize Jesus goes, hey, none of you can match the bar that I set. Nobody's, nobody can match the bar. Everybody's sinful. So I'm not going to throw you in the furnace. I'm going to get in the furnace for you. I'm going to be the one that gets in the furnace because I want all of you to come with me. I don't want anybody left out. I know that, I know that you threw rocks at me. I know that you sinned against me. I know you talk trash about me, but I'm not going to eat you alive and destroy you in the furnace. No, that's not how I respond. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get in the furnace for you and I'm going to pay the price for you because I want everybody in heaven. The reality is, is if you look at the schemes of the enemy, the enemy tries to sell you this is the easiest route. No, it's actually the worst route. It creates death and fire. This one over here, whoo, it's the best route. Yeah. You can mess up, he got in the furnace again. You mess up, you don't go in the furnace, he goes in the furnace. What kind of God says, I'll get in the furnace and you stay out and then I want you to come celebrate with me? This, this is... This is the God we worship. And can I be honest? This is the type of Christians we need to be. I'll get in the furnace in the Bay Area. I'll, I'll, I'll do furnace type things. I'll get in the fire here so other people won't be in the fire. I'll, I'll pay a price so other people don't have to pay a price. Lord, I'll follow in your footsteps. There's something to be said about that. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. So how do we stand firm and not stand out? Three, three ways to stand firm. First one is stop listening to the wrong people. Stop listening to the wrong people. Uh, so the Lord tells you in, in, in Jeremiah 29, uh, he says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. You ever met a Hananiah Christian? Hananiah is in Jeremiah 28. He's, he's a prophet uh, of, of the people, and he's telling them, hey, don't worry, Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to die. We're going to die two years. We're going to destroy him. Like telling the, the people of Israel, don't worry about repenting. Don't worry about living. Uh, I'm going to prophesy this and we'll take care of it. Basically, if I prophesy it, we'll fix it. The power in the tongue. No storm's coming. Hananiah is telling the wrong thing. And the reality is when you listen to the wrong people, you have the wrong response. When you hear the wrong promises, you have the wrong hope in your life. Um, let me put it this way. Uh, when you have the wrong people speaking your life, they'll tell you this. God's done. It's over. If you have people saying that to you right now, they're the wrong people you listen to. But maybe you have people like this telling you, hey, God's not done. 
Oh, you got plans for this area. Oh, he's just getting started in this area. Let me, uh, let me put it this way. Um, so Hananiah has this prophecy, and, and I'll just put it this way. Some of you are trying to cancel a season that is ordained by God. When you have the wrong people, Hananiah, uh, he's trying to cancel a season ordained by God. Uh, let me put it this way. Um, uh, in the New Testament, you'll see this rhythm everywhere, but how you stand firm is, so Jesus feeds 5,000, one of the coolest miracles. So can you imagine one day, this is just one day, the disciples, woo, Jesus, we fed 5,000, really like 20,000, fed 20,000, day goes on, they get in a boat, Jesus gets in a boat, and guess what happens in the boat? They're in a storm. So they go from, in one day, they go from, uh, oh my gosh, Jesus is a provider, it's the greatest thing ever, to, oh my gosh, there's a ghost, then we're gonna die. All in a day. You ever been a believer like that? Believe church? Woo, I got, God, you're the greatest. Tuesday, God, do you even know my name? I'm, I give up, God. I feel like I'm doing everything. Life's over. Like, this is what happens in a week, okay? So again, we're not going to be a victim of the moment. We're going to conquer moments. And so uh, Jesus is, he's testing them. Because the faith that is tested is the faith that can be trusted. So he, he gets his disciples in the boat, and they think it's a ghost, it's Jesus. And so, so if Peter listens to the disciples, he would be afraid the whole time. Like, you're right, guys, it is a ghost. I'm afraid, let's stay in here. But he says, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. You know what prayer you need to pray when you're in a, in a, a Babylon-type season? Lord, I want to hear your voice. If it's you, tell me to love still. Tell me to serve still. If, this, if you're in it, Lord, tell me what to do. There's just something to be said about that. Let me, let me put it this way. Some of you are trying to quiet a storm. Why Jesus is trying to quiet your soul? Some of you are trying to stop a storm when Jesus is trying to start one in you. You're trying to stop a fire, Jesus is trying to start a fire. You're such an apathetic Christian, just like, you know what? Maybe I put them in a storm, they might pray again and come back to life. Maybe, just maybe, because you know what's on the other end of the storm in this story, Matthew? It's simply this. People who need Jesus need to be healed and need to hear the gospel. So storms are going to come to try to stop you from actually proclaiming. Guess what happens when you get through a storm? You, you, you boast about your God who got you through a storm. The reality is some of you are trying to stop what God started. Because he's trying to start something in you. Does this make sense at all? Here's what I know about this. When you start to get uh, mature Christians in your life, and you start to go through the seasons, they just talk different to you. You know what Joseph said? Hey, you sold me, but God sent me. Mature Christians talk that way. Joseph in the Old Testament, his brother sold in the very beginning. Why, God, why? The more and more he sounds like, oh, God, they didn't sell me. You sent me. There's something to be said about the season you're in. No, God put you there. God's allowing it. Don't, don't forsake it. Another thing I wrote down is simply this is, what's going on inside you is way more important than what's going on the outside. There's something that can happen in a Babylonian culture that can refine you and make you the strongest person on the inside. And what happens on the outside doesn't even matter anymore. It doesn't affect you. Your, your joy is not of this world anymore. There's just something he said. So, so uh, step one, stand firm. Listen, don't listen to the uh, wrong people. Uh, number two, be courageous. Don't you like that? Just somebody's like, you ever heard somebody like tell you like, don't be sick? You know, it's like, be courageous. Thank you. That, so, okay, good. I'm courageous now. Well, let me read you some scripture. Ready? First Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Woo, don't forget the last part. Do everything in love. So be on your guard, stand firm. There it is. Throughout scripture, you're never going to see, hey, stay away from the valley. It says stand firm in the valley. Be courageous, be strong. I love what Billy Graham says. When brave men and brave people take a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. Courage is a decision. Courage should be your leader, not your emotions. Courage is in lack of fear, but in the midst of it, my courage must be bigger. I, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, it says in Timothy, but a spirit of power and love. There's something to be said about Christians who choose to be courageous. I think one of the things that uh, happens a lot is we allow our emotions to lead us way too much. Like, 
Paul's pretty clear here. Holy Spirit's pretty clear. Hey, be courageous. This week, be courageous. Well, Ty, I don't feel courageous. Not about feeling courageous. It's simply saying, hey, I'm going to choose to be courageous today. I'm going to allow courage to lead me, not fear lead me. There's something about standing firm when, you, when courage is in your tool belt. Start developing it. And then understand the opportunity. 1 Corinthians 15 through 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor uh, in the Lord is not in vain. Woo! Not in vain. I love it. He said, hey, stand firm. Stand firm. This battle you're fighting is not in vain. If you stand firm, it's, there's not going to be a loss to the other end. You, you have the winning hand. It may, it may look like uh, by the, uh, by the you know, eighth inning of the baseball game, it may look like 20 to zero. Trust me, stay in the game. You will not lose. Do not quit. And last but not least, stand out. How do you stand out? Anybody here like working out? You like working out. You are dismissed. You can run home. Okay. Like, I, I believe this. I believe that, that um, working out is a fall of man. It's a sin. Um, I believe it. Because you don't see the heaven being compared to a 24-hour fitness, it's a great banquet. Adam and Eve, I believe this, metabolism slowed down the day they ate the apple. I bet you they had the best metabolisms. Just like they would eat something like, oh my gosh, I got another six pack from eating my sandwich, you know? Like, like their metabolism was so fast. And then there was sin and then metabolism slowed down and carbs became the enemy, you know, and all these things. But, but I, I hate working out, but I work out all the time. You wanna know why I work out? I like to eat. That's my why. I like a good meal. I like a good cheap meal, but I had to find my why and I stuck with my why. I work out all the time, kind of. I move around sometimes. Well, Jesus shows us his why on why he went to the fiery furnace in Hebrews 12. And if I could just read this to you, and I, I, I want you to find your why this week. Why you're going to stay in the furnace. Why you're going to stand firm. Why you're going to stand out. Because the valleys of our life are really like a gym. It's like working out. It's, it's what makes us spiritually strong. It's what, what gives us those muscles of courage and love. It's, it, it's, it's, it's so important for us. The values, if we try to stay away from them or we blame them, we never develop. But man, if you have your why, ooh, just listen to this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Can I just tell you real quick, Christians are not tourists in a foreign land. We are not tourists. We are missionaries. We run with a purpose. We are put on this planet. Do you ever play the game, If I Had Another Life? If I had another life, Rachel and I play this sometimes, I would own the Seattle Seahawks and I, I would um, be a GM or a college basketball coach. Those are like, like when we talk about our other life. Rachel would work in a vineyard, right? Uh, yeah, work, she'd work in a vineyard. Like, wouldn't you want to own a vineyard? Like, think bigger, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you can own it. It's, it's your own dream. Um, I would be a part-time employee in a vineyard. Um, raise the bar. Anyways, um, so the reality is, is we don't have another life. We have one life. We don't get to be tourists. We don't get to build our own thing. We have one life, one race set before us, and we live on mission. You want to stand out? Live a life on purpose. You want to be different from the world? Live a life on mission. 
You're gonna blend in if you're building a tower like everybody else. But you live a life on mission, you're gonna look different, you're gonna stand out. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The cross is the beginning of him going into the furnace, scorning his shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from the sinner so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You gotta guard your eye. You know the joy that was set before him? It's an amazing thing. You gotta understand this. Jesus, before he was going to taste death and taste the fiery furnace of judgment and everything that you were supposed to taste, you know the joy that was set before him with two things, pleasing his God, doing what his God wanted, and, and really it's his Father, pleasing his Father. But the second thing it says in Jude 1 is the joy that was set before him was you and I. So before the fire furnace, he sees Tyler, he sees Marcy and Kahan and Rachel and Bradley and Todd, he sees you and he says, I see the joy set before me, the, the furnace is worth it, I have my why. I'm gonna be able to go in this because I see them being redeemed and restored and becoming blameless and coming to heaven. That's his why, that's a big why. You're gonna stand out if you have that why. So you need to guard your why. Why are you gonna love people this week? Because the joy set before you that others will come to heaven. The joy set before you, his name is Jesus. You've gotta see something more. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego see? They saw Jesus in the furnace. The only way you'll dance in the furnace is if you have your why and you see your why. Guard your why, his name's Jesus. My love for Jesus is why I'm gonna love the Bay Area, not because you love me. My love for Jesus is why I'm gonna forgive again. My love for Jesus is why I'm gonna serve. And last but not least, the way you stand out is you don't quit, don't quit. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. This is the same Hebrews 12 verse, a little bit farther down. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. When the church gets better, everything gets better. When you strengthen your tired hands and your weak knees, you make a straight path this week, everybody's gonna benefit. Your workplace will benefit because you decided to pray more this week. You decided that, you know what? I'm not gonna complain this. I'm gonna come into work different this week. I'm gonna come into small groups different this week. I'm gonna strengthen my tired hands. I'm gonna strengthen, I'm tired of loving people. Well, I'm gonna strengthen myself, I'm gonna love again. I'm tired of forgiving leaders that are hypocrisy all over the place. Well, I'm gonna forgive them again. Well, I'm tired of, of building in a place that doesn't want me to build. Well, I'm gonna strengthen my path again and say, I'm still building here. And because of it, things will get better. Will you guys bow your heads with me? God, we thank you that you're a God who called us to build, not just something, but to build your kingdom. You called us to stand in the gap, to, to love and to serve. Oh, we thank you, God, that you're a God who redeems and restores and I believe today that there are people in the house for the very first time you've never said yes to Jesus you never said yes to heaven you never said yes to salvation in the Bible it talks about confessing with your mouth and believing your heart you'll be saved I'll never forget I raised my hand and said I wanted Jesus that day and it changed my life forever if you want if you want Jesus today if you want heaven and not hell you want Jesus as your Savior with every head bowed and eye closed I want you to raise my, your hand and catch my eye say I want to say yes to Jesus today go ahead and raise it high it's a great decision. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Come on now. I love that. One last chance. I see you. God bless you. Come on now. So God, we thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. God, you're not done. You're not done with this house. You're not done with this region. You're not done with this state. God, you have plans for your church and for your people. So God, we say yes to strengthening our tired hands. Yes to strengthening our weak knees. Because God, when the church gets better, everything gets better. Lord, we love you. We love you. Everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. 
If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.